I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for other Black women, PhDs and professors who have done the work to make space for me able to be an artist, a scholar and a curator. This is Champagne is also a band podcast. One songwriter, one song. I'm Sven, your host for a journey into the music of Champagne Urbana. Recorded in the Blue Box studio with a songwriter from the Champagne Urbana music scene, past or present. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to be a part of the Champagne Showers podcast network. Welcome to Champagne is also a band podcast. Today, I have Blair, aka Lovin' Loops, on the show today, and we're going to be listening to her song, Black Girl Levitation, from the album Don't Ever Forget It. You may know Blair from the collective Soul Hot, which also performed as We Levitate, and Soul Hot stands for Saving Our Lives, Hear Our Truths. So, Blair... Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, it's good to be here. I am all for anybody that supports local music, especially Champaign, Illinois music. I'm excited to have a conversation. We're going to be listening to your song, Black Girl Levitation. So without further ado, let's listen to the song. Welcome back. So, Blair, what came first, the words or the music to the song? Mm, the words came first. Um, and you talked a little bit about Saving Our Lives, Here Our Truths, which is a, a group collective um, that I've been working with for about six years now. And we make spaces for Black Girlhood Celebration with Black girls. And that comes in many different shapes and forms. And one of those forms for me has been through music, but this particular track, Black Girl Levitation, the vocals came first. It actually was the acapella version of Nikki Finney, a poet, um, National Book Award poet, and also a solo high home girl. She participated and came to the first Black Girl Genius Week here in Champaign. And one of the things that we do in So Hot and one of the things that came out of Black Girl Genius Week and being a part of We Levitate was that we would host studio sessions. So during Black Girl Genius Week, it would be a series of teachings, concerts, skill shares, talks. And then we would have We Levitate would organize studio sessions where we have artists, the artists that we invite, whether that's people who are not from Champaign, also local artists, we would have folks come together and we would do studio and make a song. And that particular Black Girl Genius Week, which was the first one, we made a track called Black Girl Genius. And Nikki Finney started that track with a poem that she wrote. One of the cool things about our process during studio, during Black Girl Genius Week, is that everything that we make, you know, maybe except the, the music, that's kind of chosen sometimes beforehand. But the words, we write everything that we, you know, bring into the space is typically written the day of. And so we usually come up with a theme and then we'll have a writing session. Black Girl Levitation, which is on, the, on Don't Ever Forget It, is samples of Nikki Finney's acapella recording. I guess a little bit background about just loving loops in my practice. I think one of the things that I really value and really intentional about is like what kind of voices and things I bring into the samples and loops that I make. 
which is also a really big part of me. So I'm from Richmond, Virginia. I always mention just a big part of, you know, being from there and growing up there in that music scene, like hip hop, funk, jazz, just a big part of it, particularly just this sort of this lo-fi beat music. I always tell people like Richmond, you know, low-key, high-key is, you know, I think really pioneering a lot of that sound. And so when I started graduate school, I wanted to start making music. Before then, I never really got into music. I was like just a typical hip hop head. Like I was into the music. I used to like organize concerts. And so, you know, So Hot, We Levitate brought me to also making it. I came to graduate school to think about how to expand ideas about Black girlhood and working with Black girls. And in that work with So Hot, I also came to the space of making and creating music. But with that and thinking and being with the group and a collective and thinking about Black girlhood, I'm very intentional about what voices I bring in. And so like Nikki Finney, that particular recording was really special. Dr. Brown had actually, she just kind of slid it to me after Black Girl Genius Week, just use it. It wasn't something that I just had, you know, it was, it was given to me as a gift to do something special with. One of the things that is very, very apparent, at least in your music and also uh, very much so the Black Girl Genius is very much of a collaborative nature. And then also, absolutely. once you, I want to say, absorb the words in a way, like mm-hmm. you internalize them and then, but also interpret them back. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason I say that is looking at your Bandcamp page for this album, you talk about your mother. And I don't know if you're mm-hmm. comfortable talking about that, but yes, um, it's so, it's so very powerful and i i almost feel like Mm -hmm. overwhelmed by it because there's so like it's so much of your reflection upon Mm -hmm. your mother and what she meant to you and absolutely the one thing that stood out to me and maybe this is a little early for me to say is it's my favorite line is the line that you use in here from a nikki finney is the mirror is hers tonight not her mother's and yeah I feel like that's, you know, we reflect upon ourselves and, but the way that you reflect, it's like you're saying that I am taking an image of my own self at this point and it's the way that I will look upon myself. I feel a little overwhelmed at like, how do I parse all this out in a way that's a question? You mentioned that in 2014 is when your mother flew away, levitated, we levitated with her. Was this about the same time that Black Girl Genius was coming about? It was that same year. So my my mother, um, she passed in, in March of 2014. And the first Black Girl Genius Week was November of 2014. Um, it was that same year. And so this track, actually, I made it and I released it on the anniversary of her passing that next year. And so it was sort of that particular track was also like a, a dedication to her. Um, as well. We have special relationships with our mother, good or bad in some ways, but I mean, we all have a specific connection. And I feel like you use these words to talk about your mother. Just think about how there's that refrain of Black-Eyed Susan's Black-Eyed Shakira. What does that mean to you? I think it's definitely layered meanings. I think that's definitely a part about being with a collective and a group of people, because I bet you for everyone, that means a lot of different things for Nikki Finney, for sure. But I think when I think about it and I think about the context of Nikki Finney, Black Girl Genius, and what we do. It's sort of like this symbol. I think it's, you know, you're thinking about like a Black-eyed Susan and just how beautiful and vibrant it is. Like when when those Black-eyed Susans like bloom, (laughs) you know, like Black-eyed Susan, Black-eyed Shakira, you know, which is, for me, that just signifies Black girlness, Black girlhood. 
in all of its complexity and queerness and variety. And also speaks to, I think, this relationship connection to, to nature and being and growth. And that moment where you're like, I see my mother, but I'm also like, I see myself too. It's kind of like I'm I'm ready, like I'm ready to bloom. I'm ready to, to levitate. Like I think that in, in many ways like that, Black Eyed mm. Susans definitely personify that. You've used the word levitate, and it's also in the title of the song, you know, Black Girl Levitation. What does that mean to you? Because it's used in several contexts, I think, in this song, as well as when you talk about your, your mother fl- uh, flew away, levitated, we levitated with her. What does that mean to you? Yeah, I mean, that's a layered one, too. I'm a, I guess I'm going to start just with foundation. Um, the, you know, this is the levitation is also connected to a wonderful Nikki Finney poem called Brown Girl Levitation, which is in their second book. It's called The World is Round. That book of poetry is just, I think, really amazing. And I think really a, a poetry book of Black girlhood without even like explicitly saying it all the time. But she maps and traces just different experiences of being Black and woman and being in relation to people. But Brown Girl Levitation, I feel like what I got from that poem and thinking about levitation is also this kind of this idea of like hunkering down in a way where you are in tune with yourself and what you want, your creative self. And like you ready for liftoff. I believe Dr. Brown and a couple of others came up with the name We Levitate. I know for a fact she put that we there to to signify it's us. Like one of our, I guess our sayings is like, it's the us. Like it's us. It's, it's not I. It's not you know, it's we. And so like, what does that look like when we do that together? I mean, that's what's so hot is like when we get together, when we meet, we levitate and Everything about Black Girl Genius, about Soul Hot, it's not me, it's us. It's this bigger picture. When did you get into creating Love and Loops to rigorously play and make Black Girl sounds, spaces, lands, planets, galleries with Black girls? You talk about making some chill Black girl music. How did Love and Loops start with that concept? I talked about a little bit earlier, just, you know, talking about just my kind of roots um, coming coming from Richmond is is surely connected to that. As far as just like sonically, aesthetically, what, what I make and what I'm drawn to. Around 2012, 13 is when I first started graduate school at Syracuse, New York. I'm from Virginia, born and raised. I went to undergrad there. I never lived out of the state of Virginia. It was just a life-changing experience with me. That was the first time I felt with depression and I think you know, just loneliness really felt like. And it's super cold <laughs> up there, much colder than here. So I guess to kind of go back to, as an undergrad, I had so much fun. But what was so much fun, it was less about just like school and classes. I had an opportunity to co-organize an organization called Student Hip Hop Organization, founded at Virginia Commonwealth University and um, was around um, several Virginia universities from like, I say, 07 to about 2013, but just doing a lot of really cool things. One of the, the major things that I did, I went to the college when we married, was like organized concerts, music that I like. I would bring those artists and put on like hip hop shows. The guy that founded Student Hip Hop Organization, he describes the school that I went went to and trying to do, do that there as like trying to start a book club at a bar. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> but I had so much fun and people would show up. They didn't even know the name of the, the artist. I continued to sort of do some of that in graduate school. And I connected with some artists based in Rochester, New York. At that time, I was really into an artist named Hassan Mackey. But crazy story. So this was my first semester, just kind of depressed, lonely, going through it. Music 
buying music, collecting music was a big part of it. So at the time, I was kind of similar to what you was doing. One of the things that I really enjoyed doing was interviewing artists. Student Hip Hop Organization had like a website, a blog at the time, and we would interview artists from Rochester who were just doing really dope things. Um, very much hip hop. You know, I'm definitely from a vein of like, you know, Dilla, Mad Lib. I definitely come from that that grain of, of folks. I feel like their sound and what influenced them. It was definitely like that funk, jazzy hip hop. And so I ended up connecting with them. I did that interview. But when I did the interview, they're like, yeah, you should like try to make music. Like, why, why don't you just <laughs> make music? And so I'm Okay, like, and so I ended up, I ended up buying an SP404 beat machine. So one of my favorite producers and artists, beat artists um, from Richmond, Obliv. I'm not sure if you're familiar. This is what he uses. So he's like, he's just super cool. He's like a homie. I used to buy records from in high school. He suggested that. And so I just, I started working with that. And so I was living in Syracuse at the time, um, very much still doing work um, around Black girlhood and making connections here in um, Champaign. And so... Um, I started making music and, and Dr. Brown and So Hot at the time was like, yeah, we're starting this band. Like, you're going to be our DJ. <laughs> this was like prior to Black Girl Genius Week. To, so let's say I started like kind of making it around 2012. This was prior to Black Girl Genius Week. She was like, yeah, we got a band. You're going to be our DJ. And I'm just like, okay. I, you know, never really DJ before either. And now I'm like, <laughs> I can definitely consider myself to be a DJ and um, you know, do a lot of practicing. And, I'm, you know, I hate that COVID's around because I wanted to get into some more DJing locally. That's a little bit, I think I feel like that's a lot of it about how <laughs> Love and Loops kind of came about. <laughs> I think that's more about how I started getting into the music. I didn't start off calling myself anything. That didn't really come about until my mother passed away. I was making sounds. I would, I would share stuff on SoundCloud, but I wasn't really that interested in, or, you know, that focused on like trying to make a project or like having a brand in any way. I wanted to have fun with it. I wanted to name this particular practice of making beats and loops and sampling Black women, Black girls, um, Black feminist thinkers over it. Like I really wanted to name it. And so love is definitely a big theme that comes up in So Hot and in Black girlhood and Black feminist theories and practices. A lot of the Black women poets and writers that I listen to, that's a huge thing. You know, loops. I mean, that's that's what I do. I love making loops. And so I'm like, okay, got love and loops. I mean, I, I think it's like love and it could be love and, but it's, I think um, I was also thinking about like it's like the love and it's, it's in, it's in the loops. It's in my loops. Actually, I want to do some more kind of like the, I'm also, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a theorist, a philosopher. So there's definitely some more theory behind that, that I, I want to get to for sure. Do you have a, do you have a favorite line that, that just really grabs you? I like she's standing and staring tonight. I, I feel like that's also the mirror is hers tonight, not her mother's, you know, with the two, two black mm -hmm. pearls, she's looking into that mirror. Mm -hmm. And I think Black Eyed Susan's too. I think there's connection to, to eyes and uh, just a beautiful play on, play on, I think, words and imagery. And it feels like all of the parts are interconnected. You got to listen to the original now because it's also a sample. I've sampled different parts of the, the recording. I don't know, to be honest, I, when I made it, it, it really felt like an out-of-body experience. That track is literally... I, I made a loop that, you know, I was sort of feeling at the time and I chopped up some different samples of the poem onto my 404 and then I, I just recorded. I just, I didn't even really, it was just kind of like one take. I recorded it and I was like, that's it. I put a little effect at the end. I don't know, give it this kind of levitation or elevation in some way. With this song too, I had a hard time not listening to it with my eyes open. I always felt like I had to close my eyes because there's like this very meditative mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. like absorbative mm -hmm. 
if that's a word. Like, Absolutely. I, I want, I, I, I like, I wanted to kind of take it in. I want to say as a, as a white male, I feel like that is not my experience, but to be right. able to take the opportunity to um, experience it through somebody else's words. This is one thing that words and, and music, it, it just transcends in so many ways. And I, I want to thank you for having these pieces in this collection of these great ideas and celebration of like humanity if you want to just say in in the larger picture humanity and uh i i really appreciate it i really appreciate just the time you really took to do research about the track listen to it and to be with it i mean i feel like the people that know me to know that song you know that album around that time you know know about my mom but i don't think i get really many questions about that and that that means a lot to me um because it's it's connected to that it's connected to the work um, you know, that I do with with So High and my own music, you know, what I continue to do. So I greatly appreciate that. Even in the midst of the current coronavirus pandemic, the Jubilee Cafe is continuing to serve packaged home-cooked meals free to all every Monday evening, 5 to 6.30 p.m. Meals are available for pickup outside the 6th Street door to the Community United Church of Christ in Champaign, Illinois, 805 South 6th Street. Jubilee Cafe's mission remains the same. Feed hungry people by cooking healthy and delicious meals. We are open to anyone who cares to receive a meal. For information on the meal or how to volunteer, Go to the Jubilee Cafe CUCC Facebook page or email us at jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. Welcome back. So normally we talk about the Champaign-Urbana music scene, but I I really want to dig into... What started the Black Girl Genius Week? Black Girl Genius Week, again, Dr. Ruth Nicole Brown, who is visionary, an amazing teacher leader who founded Saving Our Lives Got You So Hot. This is also another one of her visionary projects. She's currently inaugural um, chair of African-American studies at Michigan State University. Uh, but prior to, to that, she'd been here in University of Illinois. She'd been here for 14 years. And so that was really like her mid-career project. She wanted to really think about a public campaign. What's special about So Hot and, and what we do, a lot of what we do with Black girls is that a lot of it is, is sacred. There are pieces that we do decide to share publicly that we do and make in our sessions that we you know consider sacred. Um, but Black Girl Genius Week, I think, was really an opportunity to expand and think about how could we make Black girls celebration sort of this, this public thing that we could organize and share locally with Champaign-Urbana and bring different Black girl artists from around the world together, and whether that's previous homegirls throughout the year, other artists that we love and want to bring together. And so she's a genius, an amazing visionary for Black Girl Genius Week. So it started in 2014. This past 2019, Dr. Brown received a couple of major grants to continue it and make it a national effort. So in 2019, we had Black Girl Genius Week in Columbia, South Carolina. 
Chicago, Illinois. Um, we have one here uh, as well. It's also expanded. It's Dr. Brown, Dr. Ruth McCall Brown. The one that was in Chicago, didn't that also involve Mother Nature as part of that yeah. group? They were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mother Nature. Uh, to be honest, you know, Mother Nature, they don't, you know, <laughs> I don't know if they'll listen to this, they don't say a lot, but 2014, that first Black Girl Genius Week, you know, also, I think a really big reason for Mother Nature, like Clev and, and Truth coming together, because prior to that, they, you know, we're not together. So I think that that's a part of the story. They were also students of Dr. Brown and did, did a lot of amazing work. Dr. Brown, she has a book called Here Are Truths, The Career of Essential Black Girlhood. They actually wrote a song to launch that book for her. Dr. Brown be knowing. Dr. Brown is amazing at, at bringing people together. Dr. Brown as well as Dr. Smith. And I feel like I've never asked a question specifically like this. How has it been as a Black woman to try to exist within academia, trying to, you know, be one, be taken seriously. And, and because, mm-hmm. I, I mean, obviously it's necessary to have a Black Girl Genius Week. So I'm just kind of curious ab- about some of the hurdles that you've had to go through in order to yeah. make that happen. To even get grant funding, I feel like that was, that had to have been some, a, an uphill battle. So I'm I'm just curious if you'd yeah. like to touch on that a little bit. You know, I'm mentioning Dr. Brown a lot, but uh, that's also because because I'm early career. I'm a postdoc. I just got my PhD in 2019, <laughs> so yeah. I'm new to this. I'm actually at a point like personally, I'm like, oh yeah, like it's 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 a certain type of hustle. Maybe a better answer to the question or redirection to or the question is maybe I don't know, not not hard it is or that people are not taking me seriously because you know I think that that to be honest is a lot of what Dr. Brown had to deal with in 2006 when she was first starting like nobody was talking about black girl anything in 2006 I think that she had to deal with a lot of that throughout the years I think now to be honest I think a lot of more so not that people don't take me serious and not just was so hot I think there's just national conversation about black girls matter you know just different conversations about black girls and education now that weren't you know, happening before, I think people are expected in a different way. You know, I think even down to community partners and different schools and people we work with, they're like, we want so hot. That wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. I think of that work. And I think a lot of the grunt of like people not taking, you know, Dr. Brown and, and so hot serious, you know, in those beginning years, especially because we in this moment too, where folks are really you know, trying to figure out ways to big corporations and universities to profit off of diversity and inclusion and, you know, anti-racism. So they want it. <laughs> so the issue now for me is like, well, what do you want it for? I think what I've learned for Dr. Brown is, you know, you, you really got to do what you want to do. They're going to have, you know, folks going to have a lot of suggestions and things they think should be happening. But like, at the end of the day, we're there to make a space that Black girls can see as theirs. And so I think that that's, you know, also most important to me. And I think that also what keeps me in the academy, but also just in and of this world. You know, I think it's also, you know, what keeps me here continuing to to make those spaces with, with people, with Black girls um, intergenerationally. I think I'm at a, a point, too, where I'm, I'm thinking about what, as I'm, you know, PhD, what, what is my particular, you know, contribution going to be, especially after all of these years? Um, what do I want it to be? You know, what do I have the capacity for? Because <laughs> it's yeah. a lot. You're right. Even now, I'm like, OK, I got to start applying for grants. I got to, you know, <laughs> trying to get on this tenure track. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> right. It's, it's, yeah. it's, I, so now I think what's happening, too, is that, 
you know, also I think the university and academia too has, you know, we in this increased kind of professionalization and privatization that professors got to be entrepreneurs. Like you, it's like you're a professor, you're teaching, you're doing schoolwork, but you're also running your own business. You got to apply for grants. You got to have students, employees, you got to, you know, (laughs) publications, you know, like, um, that's, you know, I do arts stuff. So I'm probably going to expect to have an art practice and to, (laughs) so yeah, I'm just, and that's not to say that I'm not, um, I don't want to do it, but I'm just, I'm sitting with the complexities, those contradictions, um, of it all, but you're right. It's, it's a lot. (laughs) It's definitely a lot. Thank you for having a CV. I I have to say that makes it easier. Um, but I was, I, I, I was looking at your research interests of black girlhood, black feminist, poetic genealogies. You know, your art, your history is so linked in with the things that we create. That's such a big part of identity. And so, are you a poet? Would you consider yourself a poet? Or do you, is that, is that how you, is that your, what do I say? Is that your, your... You know, I actually struggle with that. I think I've struggled with calling myself an artist. So in my dissertation, I have a whole chapter where I'm like, one of my chapters is an Allison chapter where I'm writing poetry, a mini chat book that's in response to We Levitate songs. It's kind of like love letters. Um, so I do it. I'm not trained, though. And so I guess that makes me nervous. I would love to publish. <laughs> I want to publish, like, I guess, so um, outside of music, too. <laughs> I'm into, like, children's books. I would love to, like, publish a children's, like, poetry book. But I feel like I need to really get in a practice of, like, I don't know, writing and revisions and stuff like that. I guess that's also the thing with calling myself something too. I think it's also very much linked to some type of um, practice, even if that's not like all the time, but like, I don't know. So I guess I'm all of those things. I guess when I, when I think about it, I definitely, um, I definitely consider myself to be an an artist, a scholar, um, a curator right now. That's what it is, but it may change. Um, a DJ sometimes. Do you find that, um, there, there's that, I don't know that adage that that stigma whatever mm-hmm. that that those can't do teach. Do you ever feel like that's that that ever in the mm-hmm. academic world like that kind of hangs over and kind of impedes you from feeling like an artist or or somebody that is I mean it feels like the more that you know the more that you realize that you don't know maybe I, I I'm not sure where that all roots from. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's something, too, I think, um, between myself, um, Dr. Brown, Dr. Porsche Garner, um, Jessica Robinson, who's a PhD candidate here. That's we levitate. We definitely, um, you know, I think had, you know, conversations about like what it meant to be an artist, kind of this kind of imposter (laughs) um, syndrome with it. But also like thinking about the work that we do, like the actual making space, too, as this like artist practice, as this project. When you making spaces for Black girls, that takes a lot of time out. It's it's less time to to be sitting in your studio by yourself. Like that is the studio practice, right? The studio art practice is making the space. That's a part of it. At the same time... (laughs) I do think <laughs> I personally struggle with like, so I'm right now I'm like, I'm trying to learn um, Ableton. Like I'm just getting into learning different techniques and different things. I think sometimes it intimidates me. Like sometimes I think about, especially getting into like the art academic world. I'm like, I see some jobs that are like sound and music focused. And I'm like, mm, I don't know. Cause like, I don't do it like they do it. So like, even think about music education here. Like it's a very technical, like I'm definitely in conversation with it. But when it comes down to like who they're hiring, like they're hiring, you know, technical DJs and musicians. And and I, I think that I'm all of those things. But I think when it comes to the way that people 
are expected to teach it. And because it's also about jobs. So in music education, it's like, you know, school bands. It's very much school teacher education related, which also means so people can get jobs. Also, the work that I do, the work that, you know, we do is it's just interdisciplinary. Like it's, it's all of those things. You know, it's just it's what it is. It really does come down to everything is interconnected and mm-hmm. you, you, you can't have a good foundation without all the all the corners Absolutely. being covered. Which I think is also a part of the reason that I'm even being able to be here. I think it is in a lot of ways, which, you know, again, I'm going to, you know, go back to, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for other Black women, PhDs and professors who have done the work to make space for me able to be an artist, a scholar, and a curator. I think the word is is kind of, there's a legacy in front of you that you need to fulfill mm-hmm. and carry on. I, I've just had this question that I keep coming back to, because we're in the middle of a pandemic, what to you, and I've been thinking about this a lot, what makes a good a good music scene? A good scene for me, and I think, you know, when I think about scenes that I've been connected to, whether that's like here in Champaign or like home, shoot, even, you know, I think in different areas that I lived, I think it's really the connection and collaboration between artists. You know, I think that that's really what makes the scene. Like, that's really how I think you get people together. I think that's one of the brilliant things about some of the components of Black Girl Genius Week is that like, yeah, we would have that concert and we were bringing together like Mother Nature with like Samus, who's an amazing artist. She's just like known in like the gamer hip hop world. She she created like this superhero and that she raps about that. Bringing, you know, so many different types of folks together in Champagne locally. You know, I like Pygmalion, but you know, like... I like intimate stuff. Like, I like intimacy. Pygmalion's cool. Like, they bring some cool acts that you wouldn't, you know, be able to see. That's one time a year, but what really makes the scene, we're talking about, like, maybe, you know, shows throughout the summer or trying to have something that's, you know, um, more consistent that, you know, uh, artists are able to, you know, share their art. People got to build relationships, come together. I think that that's what makes the scene fruitful and thrive. Showing love to other artists, organizing shows together. COVID-19 got you down? You looking for some music? Some video games? Well, Exile Main Street still has all the things you need. New and used LPs, CDs, and video games. Exile Main Street still has something for any music enthusiast and old-school gaming devotee. Exile Main Street is taking orders, making deliveries, and pickups by appointment. They can find just about any music or video game you need. Check out their website, ExileMainStreet.com, for links to their Discogs page for new additions. You can also contact them via Facebook Messenger to see what they can find for you. They can also be reached on Instagram, Twitter, email, or phone at 217-398-MAIN. That's 217-398-6246. Welcome back. So, Blair, what is your favorite non-musical thing? Currently, I'm really into the children's books. Particularly, I've been reading children's books by June Jordan, Gwendolyn Brooks, Nikki Giovanni. I grew up on a book my mother brought for me by Nikki Giovanni called Spin a Soft Black Song. I don't know, when I think about sound and music and how that comes to my life, sonically too, I think that book, that text is a, a big part of how I think about um, and come to know sound. So yeah, children's books. I like cooking. I like being with family, friends, 
lovers. I just like to really enjoy simple moments with people. I think that that for me, that's really important about, I think, being in this world, even beyond my work or what I do, what, you know, artist practice I have, what I make is to just really be in love with people, you know, to enjoy it while I'm here. And I think, you know, having lost my parents so young, you know, surely has a has a lot to do with that. I enjoy being with people, making, you know, laughing. The sun. Recently during quarantine, I got into hiking and gardening. I've been enjoying that too. You had mentioned that you like children's books, but you also talked mm-hmm. about that you would like to write your own children's book. What would you like those stories to be about? So right now, I've just sort of really been dreaming about it. And actually, now that we're, we're talking about it again, I think this is just a moment for me to just start just playing around, just just write, just something. But I guess I'll just share with you a kind of the vision and dream I had when I was thinking about children's books. Also, recently, I took a workshop with amazing painter, artist, drawer, Torquasi Dyson. It was through the School of Art and Design, but it was a drawing workshop. So recently, I got into drawing. And so I've been also fascinated with the illustrations, too. And like possibly like trying to draw some very trashy illustrations because I'm not really that great of a drawer. But I think that that's what really compels me about children's books is that sometimes, you know, depending on the, the style, the aesthetic, one of my favorite children's book, um, Kamiko's Story by June Jordan, like the, the illustrations are just kind of very raw and not very rigid straight lines. And so I got really fascinated with that. When I think about just my black girlhood and growing up, like basketball was a big part of it, being on a basketball court. Um, and so like, I wanted to write a book about like going to the basketball court as a black girl because I just I used to love that. <laughs> that was my first vision. And maybe it comes with like some some uh, music component. Like I would love to do that. Did you say earlier, too, that y- you wanted to make them poetic, too? Possibly. I think that some of the children's books that I'm into, I think that that is the cool thing about them because it's this mix of like story, fiction, prose. But it's also like poetic. Kamiko's story by June Jordan was very unique about it is that she creates um, kind of blank spaces in certain lines. So she writes these poems. She gets the Kamiko is writing these poems that readers can like add your own words to. And so it's like poetry within the, the story, <laughs> you know. Also, I think what, you know, Black women artists do, we do it all. <laughs> so I think that's, you know, definitely what sort of inspires me. And you mentioned cooking. Is there a particular dish that you really like to make lately i've been i've been salmon heavy i'll fix salmon sweet potato for thanksgiving this year's I, I didn't go home i didn't decide to go home my sister sent me some of my mother's like recipes that we we grew up with i just decided what did i cook i cooked mac and cheese from a recipe growing up we used to make seven up lemon pound cakes i made that I made sweet potato pies. I made some quiche too. I killed it. (laughs) And I had so much fun. I feel like it was one of those black girl levitation moments where I was like, yeah, I could picture myself. I remember being in the kitchen with my mother. I wouldn't, you know, like cook it from scratch, but I would watch her or she'll have me do side things. And I'm like, it's, it's like muscle memory. Those are some of my recent favorite dishes. Well, Blair, thank you so much for coming on the show and telling me about your song, Black Girl Levitation, having a talk about the Black Girl Genius Week, hearing about the contributions of Dr. Brown, your your desire to elevate the Black Girl voice, and telling me about your passions. And thank you so much also, I mean, going back to the beginning, but I appreciate your, your candor and uh, willingness to talk about your mother. I know that that's a difficult thing to, to face and, and watch. Thank you for your amazing questions. It's really intentional. I really appreciate you taking the time today and talking with me. I really look forward to hearing and seeing the new works that come out of 
your creativeness and thank you so much. Thank you. listening to champagne is also a band podcast this is blair also known as loving loops reminding you great music is out there go find it where you live Almost have an NPR voice, it's so good.